I'm Jordan Hagedorn. And I'm John Kim. And this is Sneaker Salaries, a deep dive look at sneaker news and sneaker culture with insights from those that live the passion and the lifestyle of sneakers. Welcome back to Sneaker Salaries. I'm John Kim. And I'm Jordan Hagedorn. And today on the show, we're talking all things sneaker customs with one who can be considered a goat of sneaker customs. His name is Dan Gamash, aka Mosh Customs. He's been doing this for nearly two decades. He has a laundry list of VIP clients. Thanks for coming on the show, man. No, thanks for having me. Again, fan of what you guys are doing. So happy to get long-winded with you. Well, and Mosh, we met a while back when I moved to New York and connected on all things football and sneakers and maybe most importantly, John, wrestling. Uh, we are, of course, wrestling fans. You have done some amazing customs for a lot of wrestlers, a lot of uh, players in the NFL, specifically guys on your favorite team, the Vikings, which we'll get into uh, as a Packer fan. Of course, hear me. Yeah, But wanted to start with your journey. You know, you've had an amazing journey. You've had uh, some ups and downs and, and really just uh, hustled your way to being, in my opinion, the GOAT, you know, of customizers who have just made ton of amazing work and, and kind of put your art on the feet of a lot of the best athletes on the planet. So uh, would love to welcome you to the podcast and, and have you start out by talking about your journey and kind of your origin story. Yeah. Well, again, thanks for having me and giving me the platform to talk. Um, my story, I, I certainly, it's crazy to hear people refer to me as a goat or someone that like people look up to and what we do, because you I mean, I certainly wasn't the one that started custom footwear and obviously not, but I do think in that social media age, I'm one of the people that kind of let people know that you could actually make a living and do something with this. Cause you know, when I started, it was for fun. It wasn't anything that was, you know, a business plan. It was certainly just an, I was an artist who was a fan of footwear and saw other people that were doing art on shoes. And, you know, my background was, I, I was an athlete, you know, I played college baseball and played football. I mean, I was a really good left-handed pitcher in college was offered a contract to play for Cincinnati Reds and turned it down because I thought I could maybe get drafted. Cause I went to a junior college and things like that. But art was always easy for me. Um, my grandma was an art teacher, so the artistic ability was always there. I was pretty much all self-taught for that stuff. But fast forward to back to like 2001, 2002, that's when I started to see people doing artwork on shoes. And the people I looked at that I saw first were like, you know, I saw Sabotage doing stuff and Meth Amphibian and Jor 1 and uh, C2, who was like 15 years old at the time. You know, now he designs for Adidas. So, you know, I saw that stuff and I was just like, well, I could definitely do that because I was an artist, you know, and again, I was always an competitor, I could always do better. So I went to the art store and got some paints from the, from Michaels and had some beat up Air Max 90s in my mom's basement. And I was painting all different shades of purple and granted, no airbrush, no nothing. I was just literally taking up brush strokes and they look terrible in, in hindsight. But, you know, I wore them to the barber shop and the barbers were like, yo, you know, what did I come up with that colorway? And I was like, I did them. And keep in mind they're already like cracking and peeling because i have no idea on how to properly prep a shoe whatsoever but um you know i started to get asked to do stuff for them so i was doing like air force ones with like a barber pole swoosh and you know let's sit real simple basic things i was making my own little stencils out of like masking tape and it was it was crazy and but that was the word of mouth and they were kind of getting the word out that dan mosh i was always a mosh even back in college because i played you know on the baseball team there was four dans on the baseball team so we started to go by the last names and then it just got shortened to Mosh because apparently Gamash was too long for people to pronounce. So that's where I came from. You know, thankfully I didn't give myself my own nickname. But um, yeah, so then the word got out that I was doing these custom shoes and, you know, people started asking me to do them. I was charging like $50 to do it because, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't feel really feel comfortable 
charging money. And I didn't know what my worth was at the time. And I wasn't worth anything back then. <laughs> I was still just trying to get my workout. Um, but you know, like any kind of sport, you started to get better and better. And then, then I started to discover the forums, you know, the ISS and Nike talks, you know, all uptowns.net and whatever. And other, found other guys that were doing what we were doing and we were sharing little trade secrets. Like we didn't know about angels paint was like a, a guarded secret back then. If you were in the know, that's the only way you knew about it. Cause it was only intended for, you know, shoe repair, like painting, like leather jackets and things like that. People weren't really using it for what we were using it for. So you'd have to like order it and it comes in like little glass jars. You know, it was very niche back then. And um, just bouncing off our, our ideas and putting our, our work up was on like on ISS and, you know, now it's Soul Collector. That, that was our way to kind of get our, our constructive criticism to learn how to get better. Cause you know, we would show different techniques and be like, Oh, that looks good. But you know, maybe you could have done this. And back then, like, constructive criticism was just that you know it was we were trying to help make us get better and there was probably like a, maybe up 20 of us that were doing it at the time there wasn't really a lot and i think the constructive criticism if it was told nowadays would be hating because people are like oh you know yeah yeah and that's not how it was because there was no business so it, it was just us being creative and getting our expression out then you know as, as more and more people started to get into doing it that's when um i felt comfortable to start going after other athletes and you know rappers and things like that because i was like you know being, being a person from new york fat joe was the first guy i ever did shoes for that was like a notable person and i remember he was at the flunk flex car show and i met him and i was like you know i do cause i was wearing one of my shoes and that was you know that's the way you can advertise yourself is to wear your own work and, you know and i was showing him to him and he's like oh that's dope yo yo and got his size and i ended up do, doing a pair for him and gave him to him and that was like the first ever pair of anybody notable um, but it was, you know, it was seeking him out and had to find out where he was and whatever. It wasn't like you could just DM him like now where <laughs> you go in and be like, Hey, I want to give you a pre pair of shoes. You know, it's, I, I think that, um, that little hustler mentality from back in the two thousands is, uh, something that's carried over into now. And I think that people that deal with me can find that pretty, uh, endearing that I'm still kind of the same kind of person like that. I'd rather do face to face over shooting a DM or doing a FaceTime or something like that. That's a great story. Everybody we've had on so far has this hustler mentality, um, and you know, since I've met you, you've always been the same dude, you know, I've, I've kind of seen you rise and seen your work and, and you've always remained humble and been somebody that it's, it's just been so fun to kind of see it unfold. So it's cool to hear it from the horse's mouth, you know? Yeah. And the thing is, there's so many other things that kind of, I mean, certainly that's a really beginning story. You know, there's so many things that helped grow to where it was just Dan painting shoes and Tomash customs and, you know, having these client lists I never thought I would have. And having text conversations with NFL athletes before I'm getting on a podcast with you guys to tell my story. It's like, this is my life. It's crazy. I, I still don't believe it sometimes. I mean, still, I'm pretty shocked that, you know, you were potentially at the level of the major leagues and then you decided to go into this because it's such a different yeah. kind of uh, industry. Well, here's, here's the reason why. Um, like I said, I was a left-handed pitcher. Um, I was good. I, I was definitely a big fish in a small pond and I knew that I was very realistic about it. I threw in the high eighties. I might've talked out like 92, but I was a left-handed pitcher. I knew how to pitch. Um, I went to a junior college, wasn't planning on playing baseball there. Um, I, I lived, I went to a town high school where it was very political with who played and who didn't. I was good, but I wasn't a name in the town. So I, I didn't really play, but the players knew I was good, but I just didn't play because my parents weren't a name in town. So anyway, I went to, I tr went to Dutch Community College up in uh, Poughkeepsie. It was right down the road because my dad passed away um, when I was in high school. So I was going to go to art school but I didn't want to leave my mom by herself and the college is right down the road. So I was like, I'll just take classes there. They have an art program. And I took baseball class. And one of my friends that was on the baseball team was like, 
so basically baseball class was us shagging balls and throwing bag practice to the baseball team. I'm throwing bag practice. I'm striking guys out left and right. And the coach is like, you want to stay after class and, you know, stay around. Fast forward, I was first team all region, all conference, and I'm pitching in Yankee Stadium in the all region game. It was kind of crazy. And then the second year, the same deal. Um, I had a really good year. Um, again, Division three junior college. It wasn't like I was playing for like Cal State Fullerton over here, but you know, but still Division three, you know, college ball was very competitive. Um, I had offers um, from uh, the Mets, the Reds, the Marlins. The only serious offer for anything was like with the Reds. And it was like a free agent thing. I wasn't getting drafted or anything like that. It was like $3,000 to live on per diem money and ride the bus all my life. And I knew that because I had a lot of friends that played in the minor league. So I knew that life. And I was like, I don't know. But I had offers to transfer to bigger schools. And I went to the College of St. Rose up in Albany, which is a Division II school that um, was a really good baseball team, but had a very good art program. So what happened was they gave me a half scholastic and half athletic scholarship. So I had a half and half full ride. So instead of having the program waste a whole uh, full ride on me to go play baseball, they split it. So I was kind of like the golden child of it. But I was glad I had something that uh, was better than just throwing a baseball. I had something else to offer. So they they're, took the bet on me. And we went to Division II World Series, and you know, we got blown out. But it was still cool to be there. Um, and then going into my senior year, I was lawn tossing in the winter and I got, I got a torn rotator cuff and torn labrum. So that's where that went. Um, I knew, I knew the the road back for rehab and things like that was a very long one. And just being realistic, I knew where I was, like I was a very marginal, good player. So I knew I wasn't getting drafted. I knew I was already older in, in terms of, you know, what people would want. So I, I knew I had the art to fall back on. So I went back to school and finished. I got, got my degree in you know, graphic design and, you know, I got a master's for nothing, pretty much just to have more debt. And because uh, I didn't know what I was going to do with myself because I was an artist. I kind of relied on being I was going to be a baseball player. And when it didn't happen, my brother gave me a job working at a nonprofit for autism. And he was like, you know, until you find something, you know, you can work here. And this is where I started doing the custom shoes. I was painting shoes on like overnight shifts while the kids were sleeping. I was painting shoes and doing whatever. And I just grew. You know, I, I ended up moving to Connecticut, met my wife. She saw what I was doing. And, you know, I was still working in a nonprofit field. She was like, you know, you could do more than what you're doing with this. So she literally pushed me out of the nonprofit and was like, go do this. And, you know, while that was happening, you know, it certainly custom sneakers weren't a thing back in like 2004, 2005, like, like how it is now, at least. So, you know, she was helping me live. She was paying bills. She was doing everything. She was working double shifts. So like Mrs. Mosh is an MVP for all this stuff. You know, if it wasn't for her. I would not be where I am. So I, I always want to give her the the respect and the nod that she deserves. And, you know, Jordan, you know about her. Yeah, she's Mrs. Mosh is an MVP. She's like a Internet celebrity on your Instagram. She uh, she's always busting your balls. And and uh, but also we know it's because she uh, she's somebody that pushed you to to your dreams. You know, I think it is something uh, important to have a good support system. But also uh, same with my wife, you know, pushing you to to do more and, and be more and uh, and kind of maximize your talents. You know, it's good to have people around you. You know, John and I talk about that too. When I moved to New York, we always push each other to be better and kind of challenge each other to to keep going to the next level. So uh, definitely a, a very important part of of your journey, I'm sure. And keeping me humble. She'll be like, oh, you went and saw LeBron. That's cool. Take out the garbage, Mosh. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, yeah. So she'll, she'll bring me down to earth real quick. One thing that I'd like to point out, though, is that, you know, around a time when, you know, this was all starting for you, you said around 2004, 2005, that's around a time, too, when, you know, the, the Nike talks and the ISS forums were uh, were part of their heyday. And I think anyone who has been into sneakers for a really long time, you know, they all kind of connect the dot backwards to those forums. So what was it like for you 
when you first discovered the forums? Because for me personally, like I thought I was alone in the sneaker thing. I'm sure you felt you were alone in the sneaker painting thing. Like no one else is doing this or no one likes shoes as much as I do. And then you find this website, a community of people just dedicated to just obsessing about the same thing that you do. What was, do you remember the time where you first arrived at Nike Talk or one of these forums and what was like, you know, kind of fitting in with people who kind of saw things in the same way you did? Yeah, it was cool to find out there was more weirdos like myself. You know, when I started doing it, you know, there's a couple of us that were into that culture and into the shoes. And, you know, everyone liked Jordans, everyone liked Air Maxes and all that stuff. But the custom part of it was a totally different thing. And I actually take it back to um, to Complex, the, the magazine, um, where I actually saw C2 and Methamphibian doing stuff. And it was like, it was an article showing artwork. I didn't know who did it at the time. And I was like, that's so dope. Like, like that, that was like the first time I saw it, that. And, um, you know, that, that's what spawned me to go grab the 90s. And, you know, here we are. But um, to, to actually discover the forums, um, it was one of my guys that I met when I was playing baseball. And he was like, oh, are you on ISS or, you know, whatever? And I was like, no, nah, I, I didn't know. And so he put me on and I logged in with Mosh275. You know, that was my instant messenger name and that was it for everything you know the 275 comes from uh number five was my number in college and then when i transferred um the number five jersey was a size medium i've never been a medium in my life so the number 27 was an extra large so uh 275 that's how i got my numbers um and i refused to take that off of my uh you know instagram's asked me to like if they wanted me to just have it be mosh and i'm like nah i was like everyone knows 275 so i might as well keep it i mean i know it doesn't seem very professional but i feel like you know i i built this name over almost 20 years which is wild it makes me feel really old and washed but um yeah it, i just figured it's easy to find me that way um but yeah that that's how the forum started mm-hmm. and it was just cool because you know I, again it was a positive thing you know I, I think that social media has become it's definitely a double-edged sword in terms of positivity and being a, a wasteful you know thing of people's opinions you know i feel like everyone's entitled to an opinion but it doesn't mean you always want to hear it so it's a it's cool to have a space back then where it was still very pure and untainted by by jealousy or envy or whatever. It was just people that had a common interest. And I think it was it was great. You know, let's dive into your journey a little more. Let's talk about, you know, you're on the ISS forums. You discovered a lot of other artists and you made some shoes for Fat Joe. Mm-hmm. Right. That that was kind of the start. It sounds like that was one of the first big names that you got shoes in the hands of. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about bridging that gap then from making shoes for Fat Joe to kind of when it got real serious, you started getting paid decent money and kind of decided that this was going to be what you did for a living full time? Yeah, I mean, certainly the Fat Joe exchange was encouraging, you know, certainly getting feedback from someone that, you know, it, it, even back then was a sneaker legend. Um, it was it was cool. Um, I was just more doing things that were creative. Um Doing the like the the Pharrell artwork on the ice creams, I ended up getting to Pharrell. That was another big one. Certainly another thing where I took a day off from work and waited online at the BBC store to give him shoes because he was doing an in store when he was touring with Kanye for the Glow in the Dark tour, and gave him a pair of shoes and waited in all, on the line all day to give him these shoes because like you know it's it was like a camp out like everyone wanted to meet him and get an autograph or buy a shirt or something like that. And it was at the old store, so like I'm standing there for like all day with these shoes and you know when you're standing there long enough you're talking to people. And everyone knows, you know, why is this guy holding the shoebox? So everyone saw these shoes I painted with Pharrell's portrait on them and all this stuff. And, you know, certainly um, I wasn't planning on giving Tim when I made them. It was just more for me to have a cool idea. And ended up giving him the shoes. Um, they were closing up because he had to go to the garden for the show. And I was like, there's no way I waited here all day to not give this guy these shoes. So I threw a bunch of, you know, my 
business cards with like my phone number and you know my uh my MySpace on the card <laughs> and gave them to the security guard and was like, yo, give these to Pharrell. And he was like, just give them to him. I'm like, yeah, just give them to him. So um if you remember the the old BBC store, it's all glass. So you can see where the shoes are getting traveled up to. And Pharrell gets the shoes and he pops his head out and he's like, who did the shoes? And the security guard points at me and he's Pharrell waves me over and he's like, you know, these are amazing. You know, thank you so much for this. You know, I, w- I want to post these on my blog. I w- I'm going to Japan soon. I love to show Nego this stuff. You know, I'm getting gassed up because I'm already like, this is this is my big break. There we go. You know, and yeah, didn't, nothing happened for like weeks and weeks. But keep in mind, you know, there was no Instagram to go post. Like, hey, shouts to Mosh for saying these shoes. So maybe like a month passes. And then I was I was checking a BBC blog like every single day to see if these. And finally, he posted them and, you know, thanked me and linked to my MySpace. So that was, uh, was kind of like a big moment to get some... Um, People, you know, someone showing my work and giving them some appreciation and I can't think of the word, like cosign, I guess. So that was pretty cool and it was a growing moment. I was still only charging like a hundred bucks for a pair of shoes, <laughs> but you know, at the time it was it was still a cool experience. Um, you know, as as I got better at what I was doing and kept networking and going, like I said, I was doing the funk flex car shows, I was going to the sneaker cons when it was in the church gym church basements. Yep, exactly. I remember you, Ming, got me in because I was I was not sitting in line. I was I called him like, "Yo, do it." I'm like, "I'm not waiting in line for this." So he brought me in, and I ended up getting a pair of the the white staple New Balances, the white pigeons, for like a hundred dollars because they were close. They were wrapping up at the end of the day. That's where you get your steals. You know, no one bought them. I was like, that was my my sneaker con memory from back in the day. Um, but yeah, so I was just networking, and you know, certainly people that were in you know on ISS and things that knew who I was. But like you know, in the grand scheme, it was still a very small niche thing um you know just us sneaker weirdos that love their shoes and stuff um but growing into it you know that's when i started seeing um like ocho cinco getting custom gotten custom cleats done and i remember it was a guy in miami had done them for him and like it was the ones with like the pictures of him all over him and he ended up getting fined for him um so that was the first time i ever saw custom cleats um and then you kind of fast forward to like when you know adele was getting kikasso stuff and you know, and then I was doing stuff with the Vikings and I was doing stuff for, um, I had doing stuff for Victor Cruz as well. So like, I was kind of like here and there, I was not really trying to step on toes. I didn't want to, if I knew someone was working with a certain athlete, I didn't go towards them because out of respect, because I would have been really mad if someone did that to me. Um, so that part just grew. It was just really organic. I was doing stuff for like Justin Tuck and David Deal back, back in that time with the Giants. And it was just word of mouth. Um, shout out to Siraj from Sneaker Room. He, uh, he connected me with Tuck initially. Um, and then Tuck was just getting my number out like to everybody. So like, I'd get like a phone call at, like midnight, be like, hey, this is so-and-so, you know, Tuck gave me your number. I was like, I owe Tuck like 10 steak dinners for all the business that you're getting me right now. So it, it was really cool to, you know, again, just kind of do right by him because again, this is a very big um, business that's based on referrals and reputation. So I was very, very cognizant of that. And my wife is a big stickler for details. So, you know, things that I might've gotten away with when I started out, I wasn't getting away with now, like, you know, making sure those lines are straight and touching up things, things that I would have let slide couldn't happen anymore because I started to build a name for myself and a reputation. Well, it's a long journey. You know, you've had a lot of, a lot of uh, projects that probably you didn't even mention that are pretty amazing too. So what was a key moment then when you went from, you know, charging 50 bucks or a hundred bucks a pair to being able to charge a, a kind of a premium for some of these guys? Uh, well, when I started feeling comfortable with my artwork, um, I also found out that people were that weren't as skilled as me were charging way more than I was. And I was just like, what am I doing wrong here? Because I see these people that are like, I, you know, it, it, you're as like anyone, you're, you look and you look and see what other people are doing. And, you know, you kind of scratch your head or, or you, you get motivated by it or whatever. So I was just started to ask questions and kind of educated myself to kind of figure out, 
you know, what what is a ballpark of what I should be charging? Because I didn't know. I was charging what I would pay because, I mean, I'm, I'm a broke guy that came from a trailer park. I think paying 50 bucks or $100 or $200 is extremely expensive, especially when you're having to buy a shoe on top of that, which, you know, at the time, you know, you get one pair of Jordans a year. You know, that, that was it. You weren't, you weren't buying shoes like that. So it, it was hard for me to wrap my head around, you know, the, the art part of it. And I think that was the part that really helped me um, solidify myself and kind of give myself some footing in terms of where I stood in terms of the custom culture. Because, you know, I, I think they all want, people want to put us all in one box. Not as so much now, but back in the day, they used to put them all, us all in a box. You know, the shoe surgeons, the me's, the, the JBF's, the Danks, all these guys that do so many different things and different strengths. I, I see what Dominic does. I remember when the Dominic was was the the shoe, not the shoe surgeon, but like the the dental assistant. Like he was still starting. You know, he was he was you know he was still refining his craft. And I saw it get better and better and better. And you know, then I saw Dank do the same thing. You know, he was a painter, and you know now he does full reconstructions and things like that. But you know, we all took different paths and 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 how to perfect our craft. And I just really focused on. Okay, I was always an artist, so I'm gonna do art. That's my deal. So when people come to me and they're like, "Hey, I want to do the you know, shoe with denim or materials," I'm like, "I'm not a good swimmer, so I'm not going in the ocean. I'm, I'm gonna refer you to one of my guys that can take care of you." And I wanted to spend my time on doing a, a high detailed artwork, like you're buying a painting. And that's how I kind of help people understand the difference of of buying just regular sneaker and commissioning a piece of art. And that's why I don't even say custom shoes anymore. I say it's a commission. You're commissioning me to do a piece of art. And I think that people understand that they they can feel better about doing that because the shoe is the canvas. Certainly, you know, some people choose to put it on, you know, a seven thousand dollar Red October, or some people want to do a ninety dollar Air Force One. You know, it, it's all to me. You know, at this point in time, I'll 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 paint your dog. I'll paint a car. I don't care. Like it's all a canvas to me. And people start to to understand the difference. And I, then when they respect it, I I'm more than happy to work with them. And I'm I'm excited to work with them because they appreciate and respect you know, the time that gets put into these things, even like, even the cleats. I don't know if you saw my story on Friday. I did, I did the, um, the J Cole cleats for Stefan Diggs who went off on Monday night football or on Sunday night football last night. I had to do that whole KOD cover in an hour or two hours and 15 minutes prep and paint. Generally that custom would usually take days. And I had to get those things. I got the cleats in my hand at two forty-five. had to overnight them before the cutoff at five thirty. I had to get it done. I'm going to charge a bunch of money for that because you know, it's, it, that's what it's worth. That's worth my time. I'm putting all these things on the side to make it done. And Stefan's one of those guys. That's, that's my boy now. You know, that's, that's like my young brother from another mother, definitely different mother, but <laughs> he, uh, we have a relationship where, you know, I'm, I'm going to bend over backwards for him because, you know, he has that respect, you know, he respects what I do and appreciation for it, you know, and then there's other people that don't, you know, that kind of feel like they can just hop in and be like, Oh, Hey, you know, can I do this? And I want a discount. I'm like, no, I'm at the point where I, I'm thankful I can turn down work. Thank God, because I, I, there was a point where, you know, I said yes to everything. And I overextended myself because I never wanted to say no. I never wanted to lose a customer. But now I learned the value of saying no is much more powerful than the word yes. I think going back to, uh, you know, what you said that, you know, you make art. You're not necessarily a sneaker, a custom sneaker maker. You know, you stuck true to your passion. You understood what your lane was and what exactly you wanted to hone in on. You didn't necessarily want to do a little bit of everything, right? And you mentioned um, the LeBron 9 before. I think that mm-hmm. was kind of maybe in a way the turning point in terms of kind of getting your name out there to the public because sure. you know, you're definitely building a reputation amongst like the VIPs and you said it's, it's very strongly dependent on like referrals and stuff like that but 
there was a period in time in the early 2000s, which was like the wild west of sneakers, I think, because no one knew what to price anything. No one knew what was next. And right. you were one of the guys that are making, you know, uh, basically colorizing sneakers that were like dream colorways. You know, you weren't doing crazy shit. You were like, let's just make this dope colorway on this existing shoe that, you know, Nike's not going to do. And that's kind of how you guys started your traction. And then as you, you know, I guess, uh, honed your skills on footwear, that led to LeBron kind of taking notice. And I remember that specific moment because this was maybe uh, the weekend you presented LeBron with the LeBron 10 Iron Man custom, was it, with that crazy-ass shoebox? And I'm, yeah. I don't know I don't know if you remember, but we were both at the at a All-Star Weekend in Houston. Yep. And it was all in a mall because Houston is like all mall culture and all the activations mm-hmm. take place inside malls. Yep. And you were speeding in one direction and I was speeding in another direction and we just whizzed right by each other. I was like, we turned around, we're like, oh, Hey, I got to hey. go. And we were just running. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, let's talk about that for a minute. To making Le- like LeBron's, because you just like LeBron 9's, to actually getting LeBron to be like, yo, I need this guy to make me a shoe for me. For How sure. did that happen? Um, it's actually started first with Dwayne Wade. That's how it all really started. Um, when when he first signed with Lee Ning and was getting the way Wade won, um, he was looking to get um, just some art customs on on the one to get some eyes on it. Because that the way Wade won, like now in in retrospect, is was actually a really cool design, which is crazy because it's evolved. And you know when they brought back Remax packs, I I appreciate it a lot more than I did back then. You know I got the first samples and I was like, what is this? And they were like, you know, the, the triangle on the side of it was something that you know aesthetically they didn't want, but they knew if they were going to do that, that they, it was going to delay the release of the shoe and things like that. So they wanted to like do do things to spice up the shoe. So they came to me um, to do some colorways, and I know I did one that was a crazy one. And um, I had a firm relationship with Dwayne and his guys. Um, then uh, someone came to me that was representing LeBron and emailed me. And, you know, I get these emails all the time. Like, oh, I'm so-and-so. I'm the stylist for Wale. And I'll, and I'll like, text Wale and be like, Wale, who, do you know this guy? He's like, I don't know that person. I'm like, okay. So, like, it, it's cool to have that kind of relationships with people like that that I can just kind of fact check real quick and be like, I can go right to the horse and – find out if they're for real or not so i um i hit up Dwayne's guy and i'm like yo is this guy legit he's like oh yeah that's like his concierge or like his like main go-getter guy i'm like okay cool so I'm, i'll take him seriously when they he won his first championship that they had me do a pair of um custom nine elites for him for his mom gloria for the real lambo her boyfriend at the time brawny and all these people, and this is when they were going to the Olympics for Greece and all this stuff. And we were actually going to plan that I was going to give them the shoes because certainly, again, I'm a face-to-face guy. I want I wanted to meet LeBron, obviously, being a fan. Um, didn't work out because of scheduling because he had to go. You know, they went to, they went to Vegas and they had to go to Greece. You know, for for the Olympics. So I did these shoes for LeBron on the nine elites because obviously he won the championship in that shoe, and it was like a color shifting uh, rose gold to gold shoe that I don't really think it really flew under the radar because only me and LeBron ended up getting them. So he knew who I was. Um, then I did the Devastator LeBron 10, which was like that Transformer colorway. And that was actually where he had tweeted a picture of my my feet wearing those. My custom was like, I need these. And then I texted LeBron's guy and I was like, those are mine. So he was like, oh, let's set this up. So, um, you know, I told him the backstory because I had done those shoes and I was doing like a run of them of like 12 for customers, charging like 500 bucks for the shoe and with, with the base shoe, like the Nike ID. So like I was making no money off of it, but you know, again, I was still building my thing. Um, but then LeBron was like, he goes, ah, oh, it's really dope. He goes, but I really love to get something that's like a one-on-one for me. And I'm like, of course you're freaking LeBron, of course. So um, 
then he, he wanted to do the Iron Man. And I'd already done Iron Man themes before on like LeBron Nine Elites and different things. So easy layup thing for me. And he's like, um, you know, we'll set it up to go down down to Houston. You know, we'll do it there. And I'm like, all right, cool. So linked up with his his Nike rep to, to send me the shoes. And um, this is the week before we we're going to Houston. You know, things are already booked. We we're all ready to go. And um, shoes still hadn't shown up. It's three days before I'm supposed to leave for Houston. Shoes still haven't shown up. So I'm freaking out and I'm like texting the guy, I'm like, yo, where are these shoes? They finally overnighted me a pair. They overnighted me a, a size 15 of the LeBron 10. And keep in mind, you know, he wears a 15 casually, but 16 wears, he wears, uh, it wears 16 in the games, you know, because he wraps his feet and whatever. So the goal was I was going to do an Ironman for LeBron and I had done a war machine way away for Dwayne. And the plan was to have them both wear them. So it was a war machine shoe and an Ironman shoe that women really dope, but Nike sent the wrong size and you know, what's it meant to be. But so I got the shoes in and I ended up going, going to all-star with, uh, with Damian Rodriguez from now with Jordan. He was with sneaker watch back then. And we, we made a trip and we went out there and he took the photo and the video and all that. And, you know, we're waiting in the hotel to get LeBron the shoes. Um, yeah, we met him. It was really quick. Certainly he was going to the arena. So he was all dressed up, ready to go. But like sitting in the, in the lobby and this is where, where like Drake staying there. So I see him walk by, I see Tim Duncan walk by, I'm just like, I should not be here right now. Like, like I'm freaking out. Cause like, this is my first time, like really being around elite names at it in a juncture where like I belong here, but I don't feel like I belong here. I still feel like sometimes going to some of these events, but, um, so yeah, so he got the shoes and then, and then as soon as, you know, he came over and did his stuff. Then, then a mob came before he ran off and then he took off. So it was a short conversation. Um, but obviously he, he ended up posting them the next day to say thank you. And, you know, that's when my Instagram followers went through the roof because that was when the algorithm was what it's not now. <laughs> so I woke up the next morning with like 30,000 more followers than I went to bed with. So it, it was it was wild. And that's when people in Iowa knew who Mosh Custom was, not just, you know, people in New York or on the East Coast. That's a crazy story because, you know, making custom LeBrons out of choice because you wanted to do it to them getting noticed to them wanting you to deliver to them that's a pretty incredible moment right that has to be amongst yeah. like some of the all-time greatest right oh uh, yeah I, I wish i had a better photo and better video because it was just one of those things that like i mean in hindsight you're in the moment you know yeah. you're not really thinking about pulling out your phone and doing it like we're, I, I wasn't in that mindset even back in 2013 it's still a different time and you mentioned like instagram how it basically overnight kind of made you a household name to someone in, in iowa and now we fast forward to the end of 2020. And, you know, if you look at, you know, Sneaker Customs, it's its own like suggested feed in like the popular page now, right? And you see so many, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kids or even adults, you know, saying, hey, you know what? I kind of want to buy my own Angelus paint. And I had Angelus paint in like 04. I was just, you know, I probably found that on Nike Talk. But mm-hmm. but now you have so many people like, you know, doing what you're doing too, right? So For sure. uh, what sort of advice can you give to someone who really wants to, kind of follow your path they want to even make their first 50 dollars off doing a custom pair of shoes like what's the what's the basic sort of foundation that they should set first before they even begin i think you treat the custom shoes to start off almost i almost i consider custom shoes now like the paper route that was for us when we were kids you know mowing lawns that that's how we made our money you know and i think if you're in for that for that kind of reason and kind of getting better at what you're doing that's the way to go about it i think if your intentions are to become famous and to have, you know, just celebrity athletes and whatever and rappers and make a lot of money, you're in it for the wrong reason because you're going to set yourself up to fail. Because, again, it took me about 12 years for anyone to even care about what I was doing. And, you know, we're in such a microwave culture now that everyone wants instant gratification that, you know, a lot of people get frustrated and give it up. And I think you just got to be patient. 
I think you got to mess up and learn from from the mistakes. It's so and so cliche, but it's so true. I messed up so many times in what I was doing, you know, whether it was, you know, overextending myself and telling people, oh, trying to buy myself time to make a deadline. I'm like, oh, they're almost done. But, you know, I still have a million orders. You know, I learned. I was like, I can't do that. So I, I, I had you had to learn to take on what you can control and le- learn your, your abilities and just don't over promise and under deliver. That's a big thing. I think integrity is big because there's been times where I've overextended myself and I got myself in the hot water because again, I didn't want to say no to people. You know, I was someone that was trying to build a company and build a business. And I thought, you know, all these customers is great, but you got to make sure you take care of those guys and make sure that the work's on point and don't let it suffer. You know, I see a lot of artists that want a million customers, but the work's crap because they're rushing through it. They're not taking the time to prep it properly. They're not going in to touch up those edges. And, you know, I'll I'll zoom in and, you know, like even guys that are like have, I mean, followings don't really mean that you're good. But I'll see people with really huge followings. I'll zoom in and the work's really sloppy. And I'm like, you know, I won't say names because that's not how I am. But I'm like, you guys got to do that because I know they're they're looking at that for me. They expect, you know, they're spending $1,200 for a piece of artwork. They want it to be on point. So, you know, my wife is the one, again, that was like, you're getting sloppy. I remember I did a custom for somebody lately. It was a cleat. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, those lines are so clean. My wife texts me. She goes, you're getting sloppy. I go, what? <laughs> Only person that gave me any feedback. Everyone else is telling me how great I am. So, like, it's good to have someone else that's not just there just to say yes and good job all the time. Because, you know, the company you keep is very important. Because at the end of the day, it's if they're just yes men or yes women or, you know, just gassing you up all the time. You're going to start drinking your own Kool-Aid and start to believe that you're untouchable. And that's that's not the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, I'll say this, I've seen your journey from very early on, and uh, I would love to share kind of what I've learned in in just watching you. You know, I think it's, uh, to your point, you know, the company you keep is very important. Uh, having people around you to be honest, which you have with Mrs. Mosh and, and some of your best friends. Uh, I also think, you know, you've worked really hard, but you've also continued to evolve, you've continued to hone your craft and find ways to get better. And uh, I think you've networked really well. You know, you, you've spun a lot of things from Fat Joe and telling these stories to LeBron and Curry and, and then wrestlers. And, you know, I've seen you doing stuff for The Undertaker and some of these big name, uh, you know, pro wrestlers like Becky Lynch and Seth Rollins. And I mean, some of the, the who's who of the industry. So uh, yeah. I give you a lot of credit for honing your craft and networking and also pushing to another level. And so uh, I think a, a lot of younger people can take advice in that sense and, and just watch your journey and see that you got to keep pushing, you know, 12 years later and, and uh, continuing to evolve, continue to grow. And I mean, you answer your DMs with a lot of these people asking for advice more than anyone I've seen. You know, you, I'm sure you get a ton of DMs, you know, you're pushing 600,000 followers and, and uh, you know, that's a lot of work just staying connected with your fans and followers. So I'm curious, what would your advice be for the 10 and 12 year old Mosh? Looking back at you know how far you've come, what's some some quick advice you have for the younger you? I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't tell him to change anything because what happened was the way I was, the way I was I was raised. It made me how I am now. You know, it's one of those people I've seen a lot of people that have come up with me who have seen the success and have changed a little bit, or people around them have changed. And I, and I think that moral fiber and that whatever is just kind of what's made me. You know, messing up is part of the process. I think you know, the fact that I was good at baseball and, you know, having the small circle of friends that I stayed with. And, you know, those are all, you know, if my dad didn't pass away, so I probably wouldn't have ended up in Connecticut. You know, there's a bunch of different things that everything happens for a reason. I take it that way. Uh, there was never one of those, oh, I wish I could have gone back in time kind of deals. I mean, if anything, I'd bring back my dad and that's about it. But besides anything else, I, I don't think there's any advice I would say, except just 
be content or, you know, not be content, but I, th I think, you know, you can do better, but also don't focus on what other people are doing because it's just going to make yourself either upset or competitive and it, it's inevitable, but just control the things you can control. And I just matched a bit, up a bunch of cliche things you see on a poster. They usually see it like in a, in a shrink's office, but it's true. I mean, that's that's how i live cool man i mash I, I really appreciate you you were kind of sharing us your personal story i mean i didn't know I, i'm learning something too for you know for the first time even though you know we've known each other for almost a decade at this point you know for sure we're posting a lot of your work on uh sneaker news and whatnot and you know we've seen the work get significantly better over the years too so appreciate you kind of honing your craft and at the same time you know kind of delivering what people want you know especially in the world of custom footwear it's it's, it's a pretty competitive world but you're 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 kind of uh, the the standard at this point when it comes to painting. So, uh, Dan, appreciate you coming on the show, man. And um, yeah, if there's any uh, one, any last bit, uh, bits of uh, motivation or advice that you want to share, um, one thing I want to add that we didn't touch on: I have my own sneaker. I don't know if uh, oh. I mean, I've Forget had two that. two of my own individual releases that have come out and have sold really well on pre order, and it would that's an evolution of it because they got to a point where. I knew I couldn't paint forever. You know, I had my own independent design working with Garrickson and it was a huge success. And I'm actually, we have a couple more colorways coming out next year. That's very exciting. And, it, and that's all about evolution and growing and still just being able to do the stuff I love doing. You know, I never thought I'd be able to design a shoe and here I am doing that. That's insane to be for that to be part of that process too, from painting onto shoes to making one that's entirely totally different, own. totally yeah. different. It's an expensive process, yeah. it's a stressful process. But it's it's something that you know you, you got to put your eggs in one basket. And if you feel like you have that equity to put in, and you kind of get to a point where you you don't know what's next, because I kind of felt like in terms of painting, I was like, what I've done everything I can. I've done shoes for The Rock. I've done shoes for Mark Wahlberg. I've done shoes for you know WWE, LeBron, all these things. What's next? And and, and I kind of felt like that that was the next step. And then just you know seeing what other guys are doing independently, I kind of felt like. You know, I could definitely, again, it kind of goes back full circle to like when I saw that first thing in complex of stone painting shoes, I said, I could do that. Then I went back and I was, I see what, you know, John Geiger's doing and whatever. I'm like, I could do that. So here, here we are, you know, a couple of years later, you know, the awesome. evolution of Mosh. <laughs> well, and years ago, I met you, I want to say eight years ago almost or seven years ago. And when we first started talking, you were talking about scaling the brand and kind of your work because you're and doing these one-offs. I was scared of it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a big leap, right? To go from painting one-off pieces of art and mm -hmm. to, to kind of scaling that and having, you know, a, a shoe that is scalable and you can kind of print to the, not the masses, but uh, a little more than one for sure. So, and that's a testament to your fans, your followers, you know, you do have a great following and, and, uh, you know, I just, like John said, you know, we appreciate what you've contributed to the sneaker world. You know, you've, you've been, uh, a light when it comes to showing the way for a lot of customizers and artists and, and showing a lot of younger people that, uh, I know for a fact you've inspired a lot of these guys to, to collaborate with pro athletes and you've made those guys a lot of money. So, uh, props on being a, a pioneer and somebody who's continued to push and, and, um, you know, thank you for sharing your story and, and your advice for everybody listening. No, for sure. And, and thanks to guys for recognition. You know, it's one of those things that I, I, I think the world's so big now that I'm, since I am kind of an old guy in the, in the game, that I kind of get forgetting about a little bit. <laughs> so it's cool to, to kind of, you know, catch up and, you know, tell the story and, you know, like John, I've known you for years, but you know, it's cool to tell you some things you didn't know about because I'm a, I'm an onion. Pull the layers back. For sure, man. Appreciate that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. And happy holidays. For sure. And Jordan, congrats on being married for a while now. Thank you, brother. Go bikes.
<laughs> so that's it for this week's episode of Sneaker Salaries. But let's keep the conversation going online on our social media channels. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sneaker Salaries and hit us with a DM or a tweet. You can follow me personally on Instagram at John B-E-E-J Kim. And you can follow me on Instagram at Jordan Hagedorn. We'd love to hear your feedback. And if there's a topic you want us to tackle or a guest you want us to have on, you can reach out to us at sneakersalariespod at gmail.com. If you like the episode, feel free to share it with your friends and help spread the word. And please show us some love by leaving a five-star rating and positive review so we can grow this podcast. Sneaker Salaries is a sneakernews.com and 137 p.m. partnership and a Gallery Media Group original production.